the Passover, the tenth plague. It comes, and with this plague, Israel has a, it re, they really begin their true story of them as a nation. God had promised Abraham, I'm going to make you into a nation. They were made into a nation, but they weren't a nation serving God. They were a nation serving Pharaoh. But God delivers them. God makes them a victorious people who are slaves to him, serving him. He does a wonderful, amazing thing. And there is some carryover to our story. And that story really is just a, a, a picture of our story. And the, the, the picture that it creates should create a, a realization that our story is even greater in many ways. And I, I hope uh, today as you leave, I hope that you'll be uh, determined uh, not only just to live for Jesus, not be a slave to sin any longer, but to live a victorious life in Christ, and that you'll go forth just considering all of the many ways that the Passover that Israel had and experienced, really just consider all of the many ways, because we're only getting a glimpse of it today, of all of the ways that Christ truly is our Passover lamb. Every day, every Sunday, every Lord's Day, we share this memorial feast. It is established to us as a Passover. It was established at the Passover by Christ, and now we celebrate it as our Passover. Jesus is our Passover lamb, and we have this feast that we partake of as oft we come together. So consider this feast today, but first we'll consider Israel's story so that we can understand how it portrays to us, how it, uh, excuse me, how it uh, is relevant to us. So starting with this simple outline that's before you, Israel's story. So we're going to Exodus chapter 11. We've already read verses 1 through 7. I want to recap verses 4 through 6. Moses said, thus says the Lord about midnight... I am, am, I am going out in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be. Death. Death was imminent. Death was at hand. Midnight, when that hour strikes midnight, you can count on it. That death, that the, the destroyer, um, angel of death, as some people have referred to it, is going to go amongst the entire land and destroy the firstborn. But God provided a way of escape. There is a way out. There is a way of deliverance from this last plague. And we see that in the next verse. Verse 7, it says, But against any of the sons of Israel, any of my people, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God's going to make a distinction between the oppressed and the oppressor. Such that while 
death is coming to the firstborn of, of everyone who is not provided this way of escape. While that is happening, while death is going throughout the land to the sons of Israel, there isn't even a dog going to bark at them. I had a dog bark at me this morning, come to think of it. It's kind of funny. Um, Holly was, I told you she wasn't, she's not here today. She's sick. She wasn't feeling well. She went down on the couch just to try and, I don't, probably for my sake, try not to keep me awake. I didn't know she was gone, though. I wasn't aware of her coughing at all. But she went downstairs. So she was downstairs. Dog was downstairs protecting her this morning. I came down, uh, uh, it was still dark. I came walking down the steps. The dog barked at me, my own dog. I was like, what are you doing, dog? Quit waking Holly up. But the, you know, a dog, the sons of Israel, not even a dog was going to bark at them. God was going to protect them. God was going to be with them. No harm would come to them. They don't even have a threat from even being barked at by a dog, let alone having their firstborn son destroyed. There's a way of escape. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. If, you, if it's been a while since you've read the story, heard the story, you've got to hear these verses. And I wanted to narrow it down, but I've got, got to read them all. 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. Now, the calendar that the Israelites use. This is where it begins. This is where their story begins. This is where their new life begins when they are delivered. So think about the implications for us. When was your new birth? When were you delivered from your sins? That's when your life begins. So it shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, <clears throat> On the tenth of this month, you are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the, lamb is too small, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor near, nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, and you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So the blood from the lamb, it's going to be their, their feast. But while they're slaughtering the lamb, they collect the blood. They take uh, some hyssop branches and they're going to paint, brush some uh, uh, blood, as if it were paint, across the top of the door. That's the lintel, that post that goes across the top. And then the two posts that hold the lintel up, keeps the door in place. Across the top on each one of the sides. The doorposts and the lintels being covered with the blood of the lamb. That unblemished lamb. The poor lamb never did anything. All right, verse, uh, verse number 8. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread. 
and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So here is the first time that the Passover is mentioned in all of Scripture. It is the Lord's Passover. It doesn't even specify why it gets that name yet. You'll learn that a little later here. For I will go throughout the land of Egypt on that night, this is verse 12, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and I will, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So there's the story of the Passover. It's a story of how they are to escape. And this is the, this is the instructions beforehand. Death is imminent. You better be ready. There's a way of escape, but you got to do what I tell you to do. Verse 23. Still in chapter 12, it says, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. That was the promise of God. This was the work of God. How he was going to have the Passover established and how he was going to provide a way of escape for the Israelites escaping from the plague itself and then escaping from the oppressor, Pharaoh. So, point number three. We've seen that death is imminent and that God provided a way of escape. And number three, Israel had something to do. And in the verses we just read, they had several things to do. They had to prepare the lamb. There was also the preparation of unleavened bread. There was also a preparation for uh, getting a neighbor involved if need be. They had to do prepare the lamb as, as was told. They had to take the blood from the lamb and put it onto the doorpost and lintel as described. They had to prepare. They had to be inside the house. And that's specified actually in uh, verse number 22, right ahead of 23 that we read. You got to be in the house, which only makes sense. If they're going to pass over that home, you better be in that home. They had to, Israel had to obey, they had to do something. Point number four, then Israel was saved. Only when they were listened to God and did what he said would they be saved. Exodus chapter 12, verses 50 through 51, we're going to see this clearly. It says, then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, and on the same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. That's when Israel was saved, when they did what they were supposed to do. And point number five is then God provided a memorial. And in the midst, of, even before it happens, God, Moses, as he writes this, he's telling this is, this is where the memorial comes from. He talks about the memorial. Exodus 
says, it is the night to be observed. It is a night to be observed. This one night, once a year, the beginning of their year. It is a night to be observed for the Lord for having brought them out from the land of Egypt. This night is observed for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. And so now, the uh, what so many people call Easter, the Lord's de- the, the initial day that the Lord rose from the dead, that is the time of the Passover. It's when Jesus died for us. This distinct connection because Christ is our Passover. He's our Passover lamb. Okay, so now let's connect this to our story. We see Israel's story. It's a story we've heard since we were kids, hopefully. But how it connects with us, maybe we don't always think about. And when we come together here at this table, these are the things that that really are the underpinnings. This is the foundation of our feast. It's the foundation of our gathering. This is why we come. This is why it is important for us to be here. And they had this meal. They had the Passover feast once a year. And I think it's a beautiful thing that we, it's so simple for us to come together and we do so every week and celebrate this feast that has so much meaning wrapped up in it. And this table before us, it's why we're here. We've got it encased in these shiny, pretty little um, uh, cases, the, the, the trays. They're so nice and pretty, aren't they? Well, the story itself, it's not really that pretty, though, is it? The deliverance, though, is it's amazing. The story is, is it should just say, man... God, thank you for what you did. And when we gather here, as we did this morning, we're reminded this, this is why we're here in Christ. He did so much for us. He saved us from death. So let's look at our story. Our story is a far greater story. And our story, um, it it, it extends, the, the, the story is an option. It's open to everyone in the world. For That's why Jesus came, is to save the world, he so loved the world that God gave his son, his one and only son, to be the sacrifice. So our story, number one, death is imminent. Romans 6.23, the simplest passage to consider just to, to hammer it home, to make it true, to make it uh, verified by the word of God. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. It's true. All of us who have sinned have earned the due punishment for that sin, and it is death. It's eternal death. We can, you know, you can go to so many other scriptures and define what this is. It's eternal suffering. It's eternal separation from God. We are eternal beings. God created us as such. When you were uh, when you were born, you entered into a world that isn't going to last, but your soul will last for all eternity. And because you have sinned, because I have sinned, the wages of that sin, what you earn for that sin, is death, eternal death. And that started, Adam and Eve experienced that. Sin entered the world. And when sinner came into the world, death entered the world. Everyone who sins is due this punishment. 
death. So it's, as we consider this story today, in our story, we consider the Passover of Egypt that they experienced, this deliverance from Egypt, that was a picture of what God wants to do for the entire world. And he is working, he did his work, to correct what happened in the, in the garden. Sin entered the world. And God is, has always had a plan of how to fix it. And it, fixing sin only comes through one man, through the free gift that was given to us. The free gift is eternal life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We come to this feast every Sunday and we're reminded that Jesus died because even though I'm the one who deserved to die, Jesus died and gave his life as this ransom to save many. We receive in Jesus, we receive eternal life. Even though we deserve death, we get a free gift from God. It's in Jesus. So, we have these first two points then. Our story, number one, death is imminent. But number two, God has made a way to escape the sentence of death. There's a way of escape. It's in Jesus Christ our Lord. First, uh, let's consider John one twenty nine. This is John the Baptist speaking, the cousin of Jesus, who is preparing the way for the Lord. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb. Call a man a Lamb. It means he's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to hearken them back to the Passover Lamb. A Lamb who is to be sacrificed, an innocent a perfect lamb, Jesus Christ is going to want, be the one to die to take away the sin of the world. The punishment that we all deserve, somehow it all comes on him. If we deserve 20 lashes, he, would have got, he, would have, he was willing to receive 20 lashes for each one of us. Kind of builds up over time the the immensity of the sins of the whole world. He took those sins on him on the cross. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Peter chapter one seventeen through nineteen. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on this earth. So Peter's saying you better pay attention to your life. You better think soberly about your life and conduct yourself very, very sober-minded, serious-minded. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Every Sunday we come in here and say, man, life is serious. Jesus died for me. He died because I'm the dummy. I'm the sinner. 
I mess up, man, I better think seriously about my life. We think about that every Sunday. We deserve death, but God has provided a way of escape because Jesus is that lamb. And he's the one who provides the redemption. We've been bought at a great price, and that makes me, you know, you don't just kind of go on your way rejoicing saying, oh, that's cool, I'm saved. Hey, you've been bought at a price, what should you do now? That's what Peter's talking about. Think seriously about how you're going to go forth and live your life from today. You partook of this supper that reminded you the price that was paid for you. How are you going to go on your way? How are you going to live your life? You better be living your life. I better be living my life like one who has been died for. Somebody, the Son of God, gave his life for me. God above the Father sacrificed his own beloved Son. He is so selfless. Am I going to live my life being selfish when somebody has been so selfless for me? Man, let's be serious about this. Matthew um, 7, oh, moving on to the next point. So we need to do something. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You've got something to do. Jesus has provided the way of escape, but just like the Israelites had to... Take that lamb, blood, neighbors, unleavened bread, get ready, everybody in, up until midnight, feasting all night, having having all your clothes on, your belt on, your shoes on, ready to go. It's the same thing. Jesus says, you hear these words of mine and you do them. Whoever hears these words of mine and it's literally just does them, acts on them. You put it into practice. That's the wise man. If you're not the wise man who hears and does, then you're the foolish man and everything is going to get washed away. You know, and probably a lot of us have lives that you think about what we've done, what we've established, anything that we've built, and will it even matter if it gets washed away? What have you done with your life? What have I done? Have I done anything significant? Have I done anything that, that, that has been following the words of Christ and really building and establishing something that Jesus wants, that he honors? Things that will last. Okay, so our story, death is imminent, but God has provided a way of escape, and we have something to do. We have something to do. And specifically, and then, then we're saved when we do what we're supposed to. I think Acts highlights this. Now, when they heard this, these people were first hearing about Jesus dying for them. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Not that's a powerful story. Not that's, oh, that's a, Great, great lesson. Thanks for telling me. Oh, uh, not, not, man, I've got better perspective on my life. Oh, uh, not, boy, I've got something really to pray about now. They said, what shall we do? We're lost. We killed Jesus. These people were probably, they were involved. We're involved. We're all involved when we sin. 
He died because of our sins. It's very personal. It's very close to each one of us. And what the question should come, what shall we do? You realize what you have done to Jesus. Your sins have uh, caused Christ to go to the cross. You need to ask, what shall we do? Peter said to them, and here's this simple, simple passage. Repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you act. Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus has provided a way of escape. You want the way of escape, you need to get connected with the blood. You need to put the blood on the doorpost. You, uh, all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You need to get right. You need to get into Jesus. You need to have that forgiveness. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You better live according to that spirit then. That's what you shall do. If you want to be saved today, this is what you must do. If you think you've already been saved and you haven't fulfilled what Jesus had said through his apostles on this particular day, then you need to reconsider, man, do I have the blood on the doorpost? Somebody told you that all you have to do is uh, say a prayer and uh, you never got baptized, immersed into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to think, Am I, have I really done what I've been told to do? So, I, that, so there you go. You've got to do something to get saved. Then once you are in Christ... Oh, man, somehow I didn't get... I think I got one more verse in there, right? Luke 22, skipping one. Okay, Matthew 24, 45 through 46. That's a good one to have underlined in your Bible. Matthew 24, in the midst of this parable, and this is the essence of so many parables of Jesus, is that when you hear me, you better be doing, and when I come back... I better find you doing. Matthew 24, verses 45 and 46. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave? That's what we are. Israel got delivered, and now they were, instead of slaves to Pharaoh, they're slaves to God, doing what he says, and it's a joyous life. Now, we have been delivered from our old lives, and we're now slaves to God. No longer slaves of money or slaves of the passions of of this world. Now we're slaves to Jesus. This is what we are. And the faithful and sensible slave whom the mas- his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Who then is that person? Blessed is that slave who his master finds so doing when he comes. I think Jesus wants us to be doing something. He wants us to become something. He wants us to live for him. And when we become a slave to Jesus, it affects every aspect of our life. Now we're doing everything. We're not serving ourselves anymore. We're serving him who died for us. We're serving him. We're reminded of that every Sunday. I'm not my own anymore. I was bought at a price. I've been redeemed. I no longer belong to Satan and his ways. I'm doing things God's ways. And it makes us different. We are distinct. We've been delivered. So, 
Then we are saved. When we do, we get saved. When we get immersed into Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins because we have faith in Him, we want to live for Him forever, and we're calling upon Jesus to come into our lives, and then we're going to live for Him forever until the day we die. We're going to be slaves to Him. There's a doing involved in our initial salvation, and there is a constant doing in this life to ensure that salvation. It's doing, doing, doing. That doesn't make it not a free gift. Right? How are we saved? By the blood of Jesus. Not because we've earned something, but we've been bought by Jesus. We were bought at a price. It was Him who paid the price. That's a free gift. But He bought us to do something. To live for Him. So don't leave here and say, man, I was bought at a price. Jesus must really love me. I'm something. And then you just go and do what you want to do. doesn't work that way. All right. So all of this, all of these points, that death is imminent, but God has provided this way of escape, and we have something to do. And when we are, we're saved when we are doing the doing. And all that, we're reminded of it in this table. Luke twenty two fourteen through 20, when the hour had come. And this is at the, the Passover feast that they celebrated once a year to celebrate their deliverance from slavery. Slavery from, from Pharaoh to be slaves to God and to serve him. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it. I again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread, unleavened bread is what they were commanded to have. It was unleavened bread just like we do here. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. It's all about Jesus. Remember what he's done for you. He gave his body for you. He gave his body for me. We deserve death, not him. But he went to the cross for us. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And he went to the cross and he offered up his body. He bled. And the life left him. And that that those thoughts there are just are horrifying enough, but when you start maturing in Christ a little bit, and you start understanding that. The physical suffering of that cross was nothing compared to the 
spiritual suffering that he endured. Because I know that on that cross, he endured hell for me. Death was imminent, but he's the one who died, not me. He did it for me. He did it for you. And we get to come together every Sunday and be reminded of that. And that's called celebrating a feast. Kind of a strange combination of words, isn't it? But we do celebrate. Because he delivered us. In a mighty and wonderful way. So selfless. Such an act of love. An act of love that could never be outdone with any book, any movie, any thought that comes from the human mind. God displayed his love for all of mankind on that cross. He died for us, so how will we live knowing what Jesus has done for us? And this is the bedrock of who we are. This is... This is establishes every bit of meaning in my life. If we don't grab hold of this, we're, we're going to be lost. You can get dunked under that water, but if you don't get what Jesus has done for you and let it change you and define you, then there's no hope because you're not going to get the doing right. I hope today that as you think about this feast, you think about this. It says, 1 Corinthians, talking to a group of Christians who were still sinning and like they were reveling in their sin. They were like, look at what we're doing. And the grace of God has covered us. I don't know what they were thinking. It was crazy. But they were still sinning and content with it. That's the that problem. You know, we all have these have issues we still struggle with. We're not perfect still. We're growing and maturing in Christ. They had issues. Listen to what Paul told him. He said, clean out the old leaven. The old has to go. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Man, and those Israelites, remember, they, they carried out that unleavened bread, the dough, some of the dough was still, they're carrying out in bowls on their shoulders is what, you can read back in Exodus, you don't remember that. You may be a new lump, just as you, in, you are in fact unleavened. This is who you are in Christ. You're unleavened. You don't have sin in you. Christ has taken it away. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. The sacrifice has been given to us. It's been given for us, excuse me. And he is given to us. He's the great blessing we have. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. This weekly feast that we celebrate, let us celebrate it, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're reminded of this every Sunday. How are we going to live? How are we going to go forth in our lives? Does Jesus make a difference for you or not? And it does, it is, it has nothing to do with the person standing in front of you, uh, or the person around. It doesn't matter if you, there's a bunch of sinners here in this church, and you think everybody else is lost and are just putting on a show. It doesn't matter. What are you going to do? 
How are you going to live? How am I going to live? It's about me with Jesus. And then is once I get that a little bit right and I've taken a big chunk of wood out of my own eye, then I can, I'm in this community where I want to help others. We're all in this together. But the decision comes individual by individual. What does this mean to you and how are you going to live? And I just want to remind you today, Jesus died for you, so live for him. The challenge is listed at the bottom. Uh, know your story and live like it. The story of the sons of Israel being delivered, it's a, it, it was a neat story, but we've got a greater one. It's a better story. Live out that story. Live a victorious in life, Jesus, who has delivered you. Don't make his death mean nothing. Make his death Make God say, man, I'm going to look at the life of these people here in this building and I'm, I'm so glad I sent my son to die. It was really worth it. They're really living it. They've really listened. They're doing what I've asked. They're letting Christ define their lives. Honor God with your life. Honor Him with your body. Live with sincerity and truth. And if you're not a Christian today, then that idea of doing, and just do what Jesus said. Give Him your life. Be immersed into Him. If you have faith in Him, you really believe He did die for you, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. He's willing to, He gave His Son to die for you. He loves you that much. Though you deserve death, just like the rest of us, Jesus calls to you and says, I love you so much. Come to me. I'll deliver you out of Egypt, out of an old life. I'll give you a new life. And you can, you can be a slave to me. And there's no better thing than being a slave to Jesus Christ. He's a good master. Always, he asks a lot of us. It's scary sometimes, isn't it? But he helps us to do. He provides the way. Give your life to him. If there's anybody who needs to respond today, if you need the prayers of the church, you're welcome to come. If you, uh, if, if you want to uh, honor Christ, the one who is your Passover lamb, sacrifice for you, you want to give him your life, I encourage you to come today too. If you need to respond at all, won't you please come as we stand and sing.